0: Do me a favor, open up your Bibles to John chapter 6 today. We're going to be in verses 60 through 71 doing a study through the book of John. If you're a guest with us, that's what we are doing, and we have been in John chapter 6 for a few weeks. If you have been a Christian for some time, have you ever experienced, don't, don't answer out loud, but just to yourself. Have you ever experienced the heartache of watching someone who professed to be a believer in Christ walk away? That's hard to watch. I mean, it's like, it's like they're, they're going along fine. Seems like everything is okay. And then out of nowhere, they just stop. They, 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 they stop coming to church. They are starting to question, do I even believe in God anymore? I'm not really sure. They just don't want to do the Christian thing. They just stop. They drift away. And they stop walking with Christ. That's hard to watch, isn't it? Maybe you've been that person who who went to them and like, "What, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And they just stop. Well, that's what we're looking at in our text today. People who... Jesus is talking to, and, and, and they get to the point where they're like, they don't want to hear it anymore, and they just stop, and they walk away. And um, today, I want to talk about how to protect yourself from walking away. Because here's the truth, gang. No one is exempt from this. No one. Because how in the world do pastors... If you would think there would be anyone who would never fall and walk away from Christ, it would be who? The pastor. But yet, how many pastors fall all the time? No one is exempt from this. So we have got to look at what God's Word can teach us and help us. How can you and I protect ourselves from falling away? So let me read our text So we get an idea of what we're looking at here. Starting with verse 60. It says, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, and for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So there we go. Many of his disciples... Walked away. So, how do you and I protect ourselves? How can you protect yourself from being one of these kind of people where you walk away? Well, let's look at four ways how you and I can protect ourselves from walking away. Here's the first thing you cannot remain a casual follower. If you want to protect yourself from walking away, you cannot remain a casual follower. So look at verse 60. It says when many of his disciples heard it. Now first let's ask ourselves heard what? Okay? This is just talking about what Jesus has been talking about to this group of people from verse 25 to where we are, okay? He's been talking to them about who he is, all right? He this crowd of people began following Jesus way back at the beginning of chapter 2 even before chapter 6, even before that. Because Jesus was doing miracles. He was healing people, doing all kinds of things. And in chapter 6, verse 2, it says that people began to follow Jesus because they saw what he was doing. And they were amazed at these signs, and he was healing people. And so he was doing all these great things, and people began to follow him. And then they got hungry, and Jesus fed them from five five loaves of bread, two fish. He fed a multitude of people, and people kept following him. Well, Jesus is like, look, you guys are seeking me and following me for the wrong reasons. You're wanting just more food in your belly. Well, Jesus saw beyond the the physical need to the spiritual need. And that's where we all are. We all have a spiritual need. And Jesus begins talking to these people and telling them, hey, look, if you you really want to have real bread, I'm the bread. And I've come down from heaven. And if you will believe me, you will accept me. If you will receive me, I'm telling you. You will have eternal life. You'll never die. You will live forever. And it was blowing the minds of these people of what he was saying. He was saying some really deep truths. But what we need to see in this text is not what they heard, but who was hearing it. Because notice it says there in verse 60, it says, When many of his disciples heard it. Disciples. Okay? If you look at verse 61, it says... Jesus knowing in himself that his disciples, again, disciples, they were grumbling. Look at verse 66, and many of his disciples turned back. Okay, so you have disciple, disciple, disciple. Now, why am I hounding on this word disciple? Because if you go back to chapter six, verse 24, or 22 through 24, it says there was the crowd, and there were disciples. The crowd is who Jesus is talking about right here. This group of people were the crowd. But then you had the 12, the disciples, okay? So here, though, everybody's called the disciple. Everybody's called this word disciple. So you and I have got to understand, and I said this a few weeks ago, we need to understand what it means to be a disciple, okay? Because there are two groups of disciples in this bunch right now, okay? Two groups. So here's what the word disciple for one group means. It simply means in its most basic form, a disciple is nothing more than a follower. It's someone who just follows another person, okay? In Jesus's time, we don't see that too much today, but in Jesus's time, if you were a teacher, you had people following you. And so one group of people were following Jesus, but here's the problem. That was all they did. It was just, hey, we're just following Jesus because he heals people. He feeds people. Let's get something else out of Jesus. And so they just follow Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. Just a crowd of people following along. Casual. Just a casual crowd. That's one meaning of the word disciple. But then there's another level of disciple that goes from casual crowd to a little bit deeper the committed core. This was the 12 disciples. This was the apostles. These guys were also disciples. They followed Jesus, but it wasn't casually. These guys followed Jesus because they wanted to become like Jesus. They wanted to learn from Jesus. They wanted to be, they, they, they saw Jesus do things and they wanted to do what he did. They followed him with an intention. They followed him with a purpose. They followed him because they were committed to him. Big difference between the crowd of disciples who were just casual followers and the 12 who were committed followers. And I said this a few weeks ago. Church is no different. There's two groups of people, two groups of disciples in a church. Casual followers, casual crowd, and the committed core. The casual crowd in a church are the same people as these people, following Jesus just for what I can get out of them. I'm just along for the ride. I'm just in part of the crowd. I'm not committed to anything. I'm not doing anything. I don't care about the mission. I don't care about the ministry. I'm just showing up. Casual crowd. But then you have the committed core. The committed core people in the church get it. They've signed their name on the dotted line, if you want to say it. They've drank the Kool-Aid. Is that safe to say in the church? (laughs) They get it, though. They're like, hey, hey, I want to do the ministry. I see the mission. I see the purpose. Here's what I want to do. Get me in. Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Committed. Committed core, casual crowd. The disciples that Jesus is talking to here are the casual crowd, okay, just along for the ride. Now, here's the danger about being part of the casual crowd. Casual crowd people don't have deep roots. Casual crowd people don't have the deep roots that anchor their faith in tough times, Casual crowd people don't have deep roots that anchor the faith when God doesn't do what they're wanting God to do. So casual crowd people, when life gets hard and the heat's turned up or God's not doing what they want to do, guess what casual crowd people do? We walk away. Casual crowd people are swayed by the opinions of people and the clatter of the culture. See, casual crowd people hear what people say and what the culture says, and they begin to go, Well, maybe that's right. Well, I, I don't really, I don't think I can re- agree with what the Bible's saying right now. I think the culture is correct. And guess what casual people do? They move to the crowd and they follow the culture. Casual followers can put on an appearance, go along, okay, but then they get offended by sound doctrine and sound teaching, and they'll walk away from it. Casual followers, they go along for the ride until something better comes along. You see, that's what, casual, that's what a casual crowd does, a casual follower. We're just surface, okay? We're not very deep, in, and we're not going anywhere. We're just surface level, And when things don't go where I think they should, man, I'm walking away. But here's another thing that we see from this text about a casual follower. And it's this. A casual follower can convince everyone around them that they are truly a dedicated, genuine believer when they really aren't. Because if you take a look at verse 64, and this is what we see with Judas Verse 64, so Jesus is talking to this crowd, but in verse 64 he says, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus is talking to this crowd, and like I said, there were two groups within the crowd. The casual crowd and the committed core. You had the 12 disciples hearing what Jesus was saying to the big crowd. They weren't off like at the Hilton somewhere enjoying a nice buffet while Jesus was talking. No, they were there with Jesus and this crowd. And now all of a sudden Jesus says, oh, by the way, some of you don't believe. In fact, some of you are going to betray me. And I'm wondering if Judas is sitting in the background going, wait a minute, how does he know this? You see, the thing about Judas was, he was able to convince the other 11 that he was on the team. He was able to convince the other 11, I'm in this with you guys. Because if you look at verse 66, it says, after this, many of the disciples turned and, and no longer walked with him. So Jesus turned to the 12. He says, do you want to go away as well? Now look at verse 68. Here's what Peter says. Peter answers him, Lord to whom shall we go we go you have the words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know see peter becomes the spokesperson for the 12 and he is lumping all who's the we all 12. he's lumping all 12 in the same category we are going nowhere we believe you jesus we know you we accept you we but one person judas judas never really believed in jesus judas always complained and he had something you know when jesus when the when the woman puts the 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 oil the perfume on jesus he judas like oh what a waste we could have sold that and given it to the poor and Peter, Jesus is like, oh, Judas, you're, you're, you, you, no, you, you, you're just like wanting to. Jesus knew who Judas was. Judas knew who he was. But the other 11 did not. Judas was such a casual follower, he was able to convince the other 11 disciples I'm good. Look at me. I'm on the team. And he really wasn't. Because guess what Judas eventually did? Walked away. He walked and he betrayed Jesus. He walked away from it. There are people who are casual followers of Jesus and have convinced everybody around them, I'm a committed follower of Christ. And they're not. If you want to protect yourself from falling away, You cannot remain a casual follower. The longer you are a casual follower, the easier it is that you become a casualty. You've got to get off the bus of being a casual follower. Here's the second thing if you want to protect yourself from falling away, you have to stay teachable and submit to the truth of God's word. If you do not want to walk away, you've got to stay teachable and you've got to submit to the truth of God's word. And so in verse 60 again, it says, when many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? In verse 61, Jesus says, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? So here he is, Jesus is talking about who he is and and he's he's. he's Debunking their beliefs about no, you get to you have eternal life because it's what you do and, and and your actions and your good deeds and your works. And Jesus is like, Nope, none of that. Throw it out the window. That's not right. You've got to believe in me. You've got to accept me. I am the truth. I am the way. And if you and that's why he metaphorically he begins to teach in a way where he's like, You've got to eat me, you've got to drink my blood. And and he metaphorically, he's like, Your belief has got to be so deep in me. You've got to accept me. You've got to b- receive me into your life and surrender everything else but me. Now, when it says that they said, boy, this is a hard teaching, they were not going like, man, this is like, th- like learning physics or something. I don't understand what he's saying. He, what, they're not saying that it was, it was tough intellectually. It was hard willfully. Because the word hard there actually means, it comes from a Greek word that literally means that, um, let me find it, that Jesus was demanding of one's behavior. The idea of being hard is that it's demanding of your behavior. See, Jesus was demanding something of their behavior. These people believe that it's by my works. It's by doing good deeds. I have eternal life. And Jesus is like, no, you don't. He's like, here's how you have eternal life. You have got to solely believe in me. You've got to surrender your will to mine. You've got to, you've got to entrust in me. You've got to receive me, accept me into your life. And if you believe in me, then you have eternal life. Then you will live forever. But if you don't believe in me, you don't have eternal life. If you don't eat the bread that I'm offering, you don't have life and you will die. And these people, when it says it was a hard saying, it wasn't hard because intellectually they couldn't receive it. It was hard because they chose not to receive it. That's why Jesus says, does this offend you? They found it offensive. They're like, you're they're not offended by him saying, eat my body. He's, they're offended by the fact that he was saying, everything we know, you're throwing it out the window. Now you're claiming to be the bread of life? We don't think so. And they wouldn't submit to that. They wouldn't, nope. They didn't go to Jesus and say, hey, you know what? Help us to understand this even more. Help us to understand how you are the bread of life. How is it that our works don't help us? How is it that us obeying the law doesn't make us right with God? Help us to understand that, Jesus. They didn't do that, they they weren't teachable. They didn't submit. They heard what Jesus said and was like, thank you, but no thank you, walked away and left because it was too hard. They did not want to surrender to that. They willfully chose to say no. It is no different in the church today. We have God's word, and anybody other than me think that there are times where the Bible gets hard? You read it, you hear it preached, and man, there are things that, let's just be honest, it just hits you like a sledgehammer. And, and here's the thing anytime you read the word or anytime you hear it preached, in that moment, you're at a crossroad. Do I believe it or do I not? Do I accept it? Do I not? Do I receive it? Do I not? Do I submit to it? Do I not? Those are the only options. And here's the thing. The Bible gets hard, okay? The Bible says things where, let's just be honest, the culture says something completely contrary. Your friends say things contrary to what the Bible says, your family says things that the Bible says. And they will be like, no, nah, no. Nah. Do you have any co-workers that say things contrary to what the Bible says? They're, the culture and people who are not believers are completely opposite of what the Bible says. And here's the thing. As a believer, We've got to make a decision. Do I come to the place where I can yield myself to the truth of God's word? Am I going to surrender to the truth of God's word? Or am I going to believe and accept and receive and surrender to the views of the culture? And what my friends say, and what my family says. That's where each and every one of us are facing every day. Is what do I choose to surrender to? What do I choose to believe the reality is, the Bible approaches and discusses hard topics. And it doesn't shy away from it. So you got to ask yourself... When you're hearing the, 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 the voice of the culture, you're hearing the voice of a friend, of, of a coworker, a family member, you're hearing the voice over here. What do you do when, when their voice contra- is contradicting what the Bible says? What do you do when the Bible approaches topics like um, hell? What do you do when the Bible approaches topics like sex and living together before marriage? What, you talk, what do you do when the Bible talks about marriage? And the culture is saying this is what marriage is. What do you do when the Bible talks about the roles of men and women in marriage? But the culture is saying this is the role. What do you do when the Bible talks about the roles of men and women in leadership in the church? What do we do when the Bible talks about, and this has been a good one and a fun one, honoring governing authority? Do you see where I'm going with this? The Bible says things, and the question is, is as a believer in Christ, am I willing to be teachable and submit to that? Or I'm going to listen to what the culture says, and I'm going to go that route. You see, when I can't be teachable, and when I can't submit to the truth of the, what God's word says, guess what I am on? I am in a place that can get me to fall and walk away about six or seven years ago. You see, well, now, I, I, let, me, let me backtrack first. Paul tells us this in 2 Timothy chapter four. He says, he's, it's almost like bank on this. He's like, there's gonna come a time when people will not put up with sound doctrine or sound teaching. But to gratify their ears, to satisfy their itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves all kinds of teachers to satisfy their passions. Basically what Paul says in 2 Timothy, there are going to come a time where people will not, when they hear the truth of God's word, when they read the truth of God's word, they're going to be like, hmm, that's too hard. I don't like what that says. You know what? I'm going to go check out another guy. I heard what he preaches. I'm going to go check out this teaching over here. I like what that says. That makes me feel good. And Christians are doing this all the time. Christians will bounce from church to church to church trying to find a pastor, a teacher, somebody who's teaching. Hey, I like that. That makes me comfortable. That makes me feel good. I can I can work with that. This is where I was going about six or seven years ago, we had a, a, a lady start coming to our church. And I asked her, I'm like, hey, what brings you to church? You know, how? she goes, well, I, I used to attend what was used to be Harvest, Harvest Davenport. I'm like, OK. I'm like, why did you leave Harvest Davenport? Because Harvest Davenport, I mean, solid teaching, great worship. I mean, it was a church. That, I'm like, wow. And she's like, well, you know, she's like, I started attending there, but the pastor was preaching on money. OK, here we go. And she's like, I, I went for a couple weeks and then I went for a third week and he was still preaching on money. So I told myself, if I come back next week and he's still preaching on money, I'm out of here. She went back the fourth week and guess what he was preaching on still? Finances. And she left. She started coming to this church. And she told me that. And I tried to talk to her. I mean, I tried to explain to her why we preach on finances and money at times and whatever. And, you know, but about a year, le- about a year later guess what she did? She left this church because something didn't line up with what she wanted to hear. So she left. You see, as long as you and I are trying to find the right teacher just to satisfy my itching ears, you will always be in danger of walking away. Because there are times, now here's the thing, you need a healthy diet of God's word. A healthy diet of God's word is, the Bible tells us that that at times it is a light and a lamp onto our path. It guides us and it directs us. It gives us wisdom. The Bible tells us it builds up our faith. The Bible tells us that it's like joy to the soul and it comforts us. Man, how many of you know those are good times, all right? I could listen to messages that are always comforting and soothing and building up my faith. Amen? All in favor of those kind of messages? But also, the Bible says there are times where it acts like a hammer and it has to break a rocky heart into pieces. There are times that it acts like a double-edged sword and it cuts the heart. There are times it acts like a fire, and it burns up things. I don't know about you, but I really don't like getting hit with a hammer. I really don't like getting cut, and I don't like getting burned. I would rather skip that stuff, but I can't. A healthy diet of God's word is I take the easy stuff, the fun stuff, the good stuff, and I love that, but also when it is hard. Man, it felt like Jim just beat me up today. I hope you don't feel like I'm always beating you up. But there are times where the word is just going to speak and it's just going to do it. But the reality is, gang, you got to understand this. If all you can do is take the good, the easy, the, hey, this is going to make me rich kind of messages. Hey, this is all, uh, this, uh, you know what? Suffering's just for a day or two, but I, I'm coming through that thing. I'm getting that. If, you, if that's all you want to hear and you never want to hear the bad, or not the bad, But the hard, you're in danger of walking away. If you want to protect yourself from walking away, you have got to be able to be teachable and submit yourself to the truth of God's word. Here's the third thing. If you want to protect yourself from walking away, here's the third one. You have to trust and surrender to God's sovereignty. You got to trust and surrender to God's sovereignty. So look at verse 65. So Jesus says to this crowd, and he he says, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by him, granted him by the Father. Now, when I read that, the words, unless it is granted him by the Father, just kind of jumped off at me. Granted by God. Jesus is telling these. Now remember, this crowd of people that, that Jesus is addressing and talking to would have been Jewish, okay? They were Jews. And Jewish people, and especially in Jesus' time, they, they were like, hey, you know what? Heaven is a shoe in for us because we are ancestors of Abraham. We are God's children. We're Jewish. We're the promised people. We've got, we, God gave us the promised land and everything, so guess what? We're going to heaven, and Jesus has been talking to these people saying, whoa, 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 um, slow down there, Charlie. You're not going to heaven just because you're a Jew. And but they're because but, if you go back earlier, they're like, well, what do we do to get God to, to, to be right with God? And Jesus is like, uh, nothing. Well, um, then how do we get to God? He's got to draw you. And now Jesus is like, I'm telling you, you don't have salvation unless it is granted to you by God. You see that would have been a very offensive thing to hear because they're like we should already be in heaven. Here's the reality. Those people just like you and I today, we are all related in what way? What do you think? We are all what? Sinners. sinners. All of those people that Jesus was talking to were sinners. And guess what? We are all sinners. The Bible says that in the book of Romans, everyone is sin, all of us are sinners. Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 3 says, By nature, because of your sin, because you are spiritually dead because of your sin, by nature, meaning the natural consequence of your sin is this, you are an object of God's wrath. Meaning the, 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 like the reflex of your leg the reflex of your sin is the natural consequence is eternal separation from God. No other way. There is no route, uh, another route. There is no, hey, take this U-turn here. No, no. All of us are on the road, as ACDC said, you're on the highway to hell because your natural sin consequence is eternal separation from God, forever lost, no hope. And none of us deserve anything different. This is what Jesus is saying here. He's like, you don't have salvation if God wouldn't have granted it. Think about that for a moment. Let that sit in your head for a second. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says, We are by nature the, 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 the um, object of God's wrath. But in verse 4, it says, But God, who was rich in mercy and because of his love, made us alive in Christ. But God, there was a time where God made a decision. And God looked upon humanity and said, I will save them. I will love them. I will show them mercy. I will show them grace. I will give them an opportunity and a privilege to have eternal life. And I will do it through my son, Jesus Christ. I will send my son and he will become a sacrifice for the sin of humanity. And whoever takes him, whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, will have eternal life. God made a decision. God could have made the decision like he did when after Adam and Eve sinned, he could have made the decision to say, "Your two are done. I'm going to start over." But he didn't. He kept it going. With Noah, he could have just wiped out everybody and started over, but he didn't. He kept a remnant, Noah and his family. The Jews, there were times where God's like, I'm done, I'm wiping you all out, but he didn't. He left a remnant. You see, God's mercy and his love says, I, you deserve death, but I won't give it to you. Do you understand the arrogance of humanity when we say, God, I thought about this this week. I almost think we as people, think God is obligated to give us eternal life. That God is somehow bound because we're special in some way. Well, I've been good. So God, you're bound to give me eternal life. Well, God, I I give generously to the... the. Whatever organization. I give to the church. I Look at how, how faithful I've been in my generosity. So God, you're obligated to give me eternal life. Somehow, in our arrogance, in our little minds, we have this idea, God, you better give me eternal life. And God's not bound to do that. Not one iota. What God is really, literally bound by, is that when we sin... It brings death but God made a decision he grants us eternal life but yet how many people if they were to hear that God grants you eternal life people would be like no I don't believe that I believe my goodness will get me to heaven I believe my, my generosity, my charity. I believe my works, my actions. That's going to get me to heaven. God's going to see that. And he's going to be impressed by who I am, what I've done. That will get me to heaven. And they will disagree with the idea that God grants salvation. That he's, give, he's the one who gives it. You and I don't do anything to get it. That's why in the book of Isaiah it says, every righteous act that you can ever do, is like a filthy rag before God. Filthy. It means nothing. The only thing that you and I can do is surrender to the sovereignty of God and go, God, this is your gig. I am nothing in this equation. I can't do enough, I can't earn enough, I can't merit your I can't do anything. So God, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me and I surrender to that. But one other thing as I read that about God granting things is not only do we need to surrender to the fact that he grants us um, salvation, but let me ask you this. Can you come to the place where you surrender to his sovereignty if he were to grant a storm into your life? That he allows it. He allows the suffering. He allows the pain into your life. If there is any moment that someone will walk away from from the Lord, it's right here in the storm. God, I've prayed for this. I prayed for you to heal that cancer, yet my wife still died. God, I prayed for that job, and it didn't come. God, I prayed for fill in the blank, whatever it may be. God, I prayed for that and you didn't do it. Well, then thank you, but no thank you. And people walk away every day. Because people cannot come to a place where we surrender to the absolute sovereignty of God in our life. And if God so allows and he grants you to experience pain and suffering, can you come to the place where you're like, God, I'm going to pray that this will come to an end. I'm going to pray for the the healing. I'm going to pray for the finances. God, I'm going to pray. This is what I want to see happen. But if it does not, I'm okay, God. And it is well with my soul because I believe in you. You are king. You are God. You are Lord, and I am not. And I will not walk away and I will walk one step with you at one day at a time until God you take me home can you do that that's a tough place to be suffering is always the toughest place to be being in the fiery trial is never easy and never fun but I'm telling you more people walk away from the lord in the trial in the storm than any other time can you come to the place if you want to protect yourself from walking away you've got to come to the place where you can trust and surrender to the sovereignty of God and then lastly the fourth thing to protect yourself from walking away is this you have to maintain an active and growing faith you have to maintain an active and growing faith and this is where Jesus he turns to and, and I kind of I when I read I read this I like this So after many disciples turned back and no longer walked with him, Jesus turned to the twelve and said, Do you want to go away as well? Do you notice one thing that stands out between the people leaving and Jesus turning to the twelve? Free will. Do you, you get that? Jesus will allow you to walk away. Think about that for a moment. He these, these many disciples turned back, walked away. You notice it doesn't say, oh, and Jesus went after them right away. Jesus went after them and said, oh, please don't go. I'm sorry. I'll change my message. I, 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 won't, I won't say that anymore. Please, I, I need you to follow me. He doesn't do that. He let them go, and he turned to the 12. You going to leave too? Because I'll find 12 more. And they're like, no. Because look what he says. Look what Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And here it is. We have believed and we've come to know. We have believed and come to know. Peter is like, man, we're not going to be like those people. They, they were just following you because they just wanted the stuff. But Jesus, we believe in you. We believe in who you are, not in some superficial, artificial, you know, surface level belief, but God, but Jesus, we accept you. We have eaten you. We have drank your blood. That's how much we believe in you. But not only that, but we have come to know who you are. We've seen you work. Man, we can't deny that. The people that walked away saw Jesus do some amazing things. But yet, what did they do? They didn't get what they wanted. Jesus wasn't giving them what they wanted. So what did they do? We're walking away. I don't want that anymore. If that's the way Jesus is, then forget it. I'm going to go find another Jesus, but not these guys. These guys were committed to Jesus to the core of who they were. And they were like, we believe in you, Jesus. We're not walking away because you've got the words of life. And they knew everything we go through. Jesus, you're going to be with us. These guys would come to understand what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. Because they were going to be martyred. They were going to be put in prison. They were going to be stoned. They were going to be flogged. They were going to lose everything. And they did not ever walk away. They went to their grave to their martyrdom with this on their lips. We believe in you, Jesus, and we know. They had a active, growing faith from the moment Jesus called them to follow them to the moment Jesus called them home. They continued to believe, they continued to know, they continued to grow, they never lost faith. Listen, you see, the casual crowd never grows. The casual crowd never goes deeper. The casual crowd just stays on the surface, and we're just in it for the ride. But if you just want to stay the casual crowd, and you're not going deeper, you're not growing in your faith, you're not active in learning, you're not active in growing, I'm telling you, you're setting yourself up for the possibility to walk away. If you have an active, growing faith, I believe in Jesus. I know who he is. I know what he's done for me. I know to the depth of my core, it doesn't matter anything else on the exterior. I know who Jesus is and what I have in him. That is what anchors you to him and keeps you from walking away. But if you don't have that active, growing faith, if you can't look at yourself and go, man, I am not the same person. If you, can, if you can look at yourself and go, I know I'm not perfect. Anybody perfect in here? I know I'm not. Devon, are you perfect? No, no. Marlene, are you perfect? No, I mean, or B- Marlene. I'm looking at Marlene. I'm looking at Sandy thinking of Marlene. Sandy, are you perfect? No. We're not perfect by any means. But guess what? We are. Man, we are followers of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And if I'm growing in that, and I can say I'm different, I'm not the same, that is an act of growing faith, and that will keep you anchored, and that will keep you protected from walking away. Mm -hmm. Amen? Let's all stand. Let's uh, close in a word of prayer. Well, Father, we... We thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. God, you are so good because you've given us life in Christ when we don't deserve it. We have so much when, when this world is so, so, so many times telling us that we don't have a lot and we don't have much. We, everything is ba- based on money or possessions or whatever it is, Lord. But God, if all that was stripped away and we have Jesus, we have everything. And help us to be anchored to who you are, Lord Jesus, so we will not be walking away. Help us to move from being casual to committed. Help us to trust your word and surrender to the truth of it. Jesus, be all in all that you are the one that we look to and that we are anchored to who you are. And we just thank you, Father, and we just praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.